everybody. Welcome to the Oscar Grouches. Today we have another Thunderdome episode. Thunderdome. <laughs> We're going to be talking about best original screenplay this time from the 81st to the 90th Oscars. In case anyone's wondering about that noise, it is the sound of me pouring wine. We drink wine when we do this because it's really fun and it's our show. Today's episode is sponsored by Yellowtail Big Bold Red. <laughs> it's not really. So <laughs> I felt like you were about to just get into the flavors. And be like... Well, in the small Australian town of Yenda, the Casella family has been making wine for generations. It is here that Yellowtail is created with... Okay, sorry. <laughs> I feel um, like if we read all of it, we would have like done something that kind of like copyright. We might have already. I don't know. No one's going to copy That's okay. Whatever. Um, um, if they anyway. do, then I'm just impressed. All right. So we're going to be talking about best original screenplay. These are our criteria, or at least what I think maybe we should talk about. Yeah. I thought... Okay. The criteria I believe we discussed was dialogue. Yes. Um general progression of the story, like yeah. how it's structured. And then obviously the originality. The originality, because it is original screenplay. Right. And I think... Um, was that all we talked about? I think that was it. And I think, to clarify, sometimes it, it is, it's impossible. It's the same thing like with the category of directing. It's impossible to know who actually is responsible for what sometimes. Right, of course. But with this, we just have to assume that, that all dialogue is, is a result written. of the screenwriter. Yeah. You know, like because we don't... We didn't read all the screenplays, yeah. um, nor do the voters. <laughs> you know, like, and if any... I'm Basically, sure, I feel like people who vote for this is just like, oh, the story was great. The story, the dialogue, they probably think the same way we do. I mean, yeah. I, I'm assuming some people probably read them, but I imagine that most of the vote. Not only do I imagine it's true, most of them don't read it. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so if you guys have listened to our other Thunderdome episodes, then you will know how round one goes. We compare them two by two until we get a top five. And we're going to start with the most recent winners of this... Um, what is it called? Category. And so we're going to go be comparing Get Out to Manchester by the Sea. Okay. And Get Out, to clarify, was written um, by Jordan Peele and Manchester by the Sea by Kenneth Lonergan. I don't know if I pronounced that. Kenneth right. Lonergan. Lonergan. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Um, so Get Out. Um, Damn. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, I'm very biased here because I love horror movies so much mm -hmm. and also just because like... The way he handled some of these issues and like the symbolism and the the racial issues and how it's and it's funny like it's a funny movie too. So no it's like, scene, no bit of dialogue was ever just thrown in there. It was all so calculated. Nothing feels like filler in this movie, and it nothing. all nothing. And like it, and like just the story itself, and it literally okay. So this came out 2017, 2018. People have started because of this movie. People have realized that a horror movie can be good, and it's because of what this movie did and how it was written. We have had a huge influx of good horror movies since. Yeah. And I mean, obviously they were already working on those before this came out. Because I mean, like, but still, I think that producers have been pushing them more, and I think that people have been going to go see them more because of the respect. Yeah, the marketing take on all the movies that come, have, have, that have come out this year, like A Quiet Place, Annihilation. Yes. Which, I mean, and all these were, of course, already in production before yeah. Get Out came out. But still, it's like, I think that the way people are reacting, um, and I think, I mean, the characterization is amazing, the mystery elements are great, um, again, the comedy, the dialogue's hilarious. It's all the characterizations funny, are so well done. There's literally a character in there, and I've... 
believe I read this somewhere, where Jordan Peele said he added this character because he wanted someone to be relaying what the audience is probably thinking. It's his um, friend. Oh, the friend. Well, yeah, because there's that element of that person, you know, like of someone wanting to like scream in the theater, like, don't go in that door. And, and that's what he they, they created a character for it. And it's yeah. brilliant. Well, even that opening scene is so funny. It's scary and funny, but like the man who's, the guy pulls over and goes, nope, and walks the other direction. Yeah. And it's like, from the minute it starts... You're uh, scared and laughing. That's, that's the Keith Stanfield. Um, I don't know who that is. He's in Sorry to Bother You. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, also, like, I know this is not screenplay. I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible. But the um, the casting in it, I always thought, was just really amusing. Because you have um, Catherine Keener, who played Harper Lee, the writer of To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. playing the mother. You have Bradley Whitford who's on West Wing, and the phrase West Wing liberal is a very common thing, but like the white West Wing uh-huh. liberal. And then you have Lena Dunham, who is Allison on... Williams. Not, sorry, Allison Lena Williams. Sorry. Allison Girls. Williams in Lena Dunham's Girls. Sorry. Yes. yes. <laughs> Allison Williams in Lena Dunham's Girls, which is considered, you know, white feminism. Yeah. And so it's like, it's been very... He picked the perfect people they are, to go back on everything their other characters stand it's for. It's an ideal cast, really, um, of people to be like, their other work... Well... Especially with girls in West Wing, it's like, it sort of, I feel like, puts into question their work even. And like, it's kind of brave, I guess, for those actors to go in and do it anyway. Especially with Allison Williams, who I felt like she knew exactly why she was there. (laughs) And just went ahead and did it anyway. And like. Also, can we just talk about like Jordan Peele's other works that he's done? Like, Mad TV. He's a comedy writer. Oh, yeah, he's so funny. And like, you know, the Key and Peele show was hilarious. Uh, Key and Peele, I was so bummed that that's like. Just well, reruns now. It's not well, really they going. had to they had to do other stuff, and obviously Jordan yeah. Peelsman. And uh, have you seen Keanu? No, Keanu is like so it. good. <laughs> it's about a cat. I love cats. All right. Uh, anyways, God, that movie's good. Manchester by the Sea. This movie was so heart wrenching. Oh my gosh! The and I mean, I just the premise. I guess like it's one of those. If we're talking about, like, original screenplay here, we're talking about a premise that just seems like it can't be a movie that it is. Yeah. You know, it's like, this man makes a horrifying mistake one night when he's drunk. Not even a mistake. It was just an accident. Well, and it was it was one of those moments where, like, he's done... He's been a kind of drunk that I think a lot of people have been before, mm-hmm. where, like, you left the, the gate of the fireplace. You forgot to put the gate up. And he realizes it and decides not to go back. Oh, yeah. And put it back up. And... I mean, how many times have we all done something just stupid, left the, the gas on the stove running? You know what I mean? Like, and then the consequences becoming that dire, and, he, and your entire life just derailing. And yeah, and you're, you know, your wife, and you break up, obviously, and then she, you know, and it's... it. Um, this movie, I think in particular, much more than Get Out, is built on one-on-one dialogue. Oh, yeah. In particular, yeah, just, the fridge scene, when he talks to his wife, his ex-wife in the alley, when he talks to the police officers. Yeah. That's what I feel like this movie was built on. Well, there's a lot of conversations with him and his um, his uh, his nephew, because mm-hmm. um, his, his brother dies, and he goes to... Um, this poor guy. Everyone in his life is just... Yeah. And it was like, well, it's just to, to build this whole plot on... And yeah, because his brother dies, and then he's just trying to build his life and his family back up. Yeah. And... You never really even get a full resolution. You and don't. I mean, there is there are a couple tropes in there. I feel like the trope of the cold-hearted man who has to adopt someone. What I like, mean, I'm going to try to compare it to another film that we're about to talk about, The Hurt Locker. It's just like in the end, the character, despite like, I just feel like in the end, it's almost like there was no change. 
But the slightest of change. Yeah, the slightest of change, but the overall problem is kind of still there. Yeah, like, well, he's never going to... He's never... And but he doesn't move back to Manchester. He stays in Boston. Well, and that's... Yeah. Despite knowing that it's probably... Because, well, he realizes that he's sick. You know, yeah. like, he needs help. And I, yeah. I don't know if he'll ever get it, unfortunately. And yeah, and, like... To, to know that that's what's best for his nephew. Like, I shouldn't be here. I'm going to go and, like... And, well, yeah, I guess that's where they sort of subvert the trope. Because normally he would stay then and adopt him. And that's the happy ending. But it's like, sometimes you need to understand that you're not in a place to adopt someone. Right. You know, Does he like, end up going with in the end? Or is he 18 and he's on his own? No, he's not on his own. I actually don't remember. That's bad. Sorry. I don't remember. Still. Also, that movie was also just carried so much by its acting. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. really great. Yeah. Um, we got to pick a winner. Oh, uh, for this, we'll get out. Yeah, get out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nothing that, it's, it's sad that Manchester had to go so quickly, but I think that get it's out. like Kenneth Lonergan was, did such a good job. All the characters were so yeah. realized. But I feel like get out was like. The fact that it did what it did. And it was. Well, yeah, it was so original and it was quiet so. Quiet outside, ambulance. I know, yeah, sorry. Some ambulance noise. Um, it, it, it's. It was so original and so well crafted, and I—I I mean, I just felt like someone had hit me in the face. In Get like, out? well, yeah, in a oh. way that like I just like couldn't think clearly afterwards. And and when I watched it again, I was like, this is just like the tightest knit movie. The like the in best. terms of, it's just so clean. It's so perfect. It's so wonderful. The like, best part about rewatching it again is seeing all the clues oh. and knowing how. As Everything as was so intricate. Are. This definitely deserves a rewatch because it's so like it's I, yeah. I, I've only seen well, it all the little bits of symbolism throughout too, and how it's also beautifully crafted and mm-hmm. yeah. So get out for sure for me. Of course. Um, What's the next one? Spotlight um, by Josh Singer and Tom McCarthy versus uh, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Um, Alejandro did a ton of people wrote this one. Yeah, Alejandro did. Uh, I don't want to ruin the pronunciation. Nicolas Giacobone, um, I'm guessing that's his last name. Alexander uh, Denolaris Jr. and Armando, Armando Bo. I did not know that that had so many writers. <laughs> um, normally that's a bad sign when you have a shit ton of writers, like, but I guess it worked out. Um, well, first first came, no, the re- most recent one was Spotlight. Spotlight, so we're talking about Spotlight first. Um, this movie. I love how it was like, Beautifully not exciting, but at the same time exciting. Yeah. To me, I'm going to compare it to another movie that came out recently, The Post, where I feel like... I don't think that that is... I, I disagree with you entirely. Finish your thought. And then okay, I was just going to say, like, the whole fact where it's a newspaper trying to cover a story, but I got so much... I got more of the research and the, like, the... Just all the effort to try to get the information. Whereas in the post, all the Pentagon papers and all the inter- information was already, ac- um, what do you call it? Acquired. Where in this one, you got to see the interview process. You got to see the late hours. Mm-hmm. You got to see all this stuff. And for yeah. me, that's why, I mean, the, that's why I enjoyed this movie much more is I got to see. Oh, all I see what you're hearing. I thought you were putting them like together in the same. Yeah. And I was like, I disagree entirely. No, because that's the thing why is I liked it. I got to see the work. And for people listening to, I mean, because this movie's been out for a little bit longer, it's yes. about the um, the Boston Globe's spotlight team, mm-hmm. who unco- they usually will do a lot of investigative journalism. They uncovered church molestation charges. Yeah, they covered this huge, over decades and decades mm-hmm. of molestation charges that were being covered up by the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I just love this idea of 
investigative journalism and like investigative journalism movies are always so interesting well, and they, I mean, well they didn't want to make the movie for a while because they said it was going to be boring because investigative journalism this is you boring. calling people it's you knocking on doors you know like it's that's mostly what it is and and but, they're right and I think I don't want to say boring but I think that it's the least sensationalized story and that's why I think it's almost the opposite of the post. I just remember watching it. It like reveled in the tension of trying to get the interview and then as soon as it's going on you're like, okay, I can finally let not like let your guard down, but like we're in the interview, we're talking, we're gathering the information. The hard work is kinda over. But it just did all that build up, build up, build up, build up. And then it did that for to me for like every inter- every interview in it. I guess um but I yeah, the, the point I was trying to make, though, was that, like, it, it, in terms of, like, how sensationalized the post was, it was, like, this, like, sweeping, I mean, that was Spielberg, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, it, you know, you always have this ridiculous music, and then the bad guy loses, and it's funny, and, you know, like... having a rough go. I know, and I feel like it's the same thing, it's kind of, and it, it, we accepted that a little bit more in the 90s, and now I'm like, I want to see something more like Spotlight, where it's like, this is... It isn't very... Because even at the end, I mean, what happens? The newspaper comes out. They get phone calls. End of movie. And it's like, to me, that's it's just moments more interesting because that's how real life works. You're not going to get this moment where you feel that gratification. And there really isn't a huge amount of gratification because, I mean, these people still were hurt. These people are still getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I... It's just the, the product of bringing it to, to the forefront. You don't fix it. You just have to spread the information. Well, and it was a movie about, like, the importance of journalism without hammering that, like, the Post did. It was just like, you must like journalism. And I'm like, and I do. But I feel like Spotlight proved that exact same point, but didn't need to, like, slap you around with it. And that was, I mean, that came out before Trump was elected. And I feel like the Post was definitely a reaction to Trump. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and well, not just specifically Trump, but the way that the media has been portrayed since right. by itself. I guess I was going to say the media has been portrayed by the media, yeah. but um, but, but yeah. also just the fact that I felt like I learned so much. Oh yeah, it just you have to like if you're doing a historical piece, like like another movie on this list is Milk. You have to teach us something, well, and Spotlight did such a good job with it. Oh yeah, because I felt like I just I I got a I felt like I was getting a real glimpse of what. Mm-hmm. It would be like to be in that situation and to learn that stuff. And I mean, the performances are, uh, we won't get to that, but um, Birdman. Birdman. Oh my gosh, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> um, so I watched this movie for the first time like two days ago. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it was so good. I, well, and I, no, I can't, I can't even compare it to any movie I've ever seen. It's so weird, yeah, because that's what makes it difficult because you're like, what is this even? Um, the, so, the dialogue, well, yeah, to give a little bit of background, it's this. It's essentially, it's kind of meta, because you have Michael Keaton playing a washed-up superhero actor. Essentially, which Keaton, like an Adam West character. I thought he was just Michael Keaton character. Oh. Was my- Batman. Oh, yeah, you're right. He was Batman. Okay. <laughs> so th- this is a moment for you, then, I guess, realizing something I even mean, another layer. I mean, just the like, well, when I think Well, it there's a lot, too, with this movie, because Edward yeah. Norton is known for his, like, ridiculous antics. Remember when he was the Hulk? On, yeah, let's not get into that. But he has these ridiculous antics on set, and he's known for that. So I feel like Edward Norton and Michael Keaton were both very, like, purposeful casting. But it's this guy who was trying to get a play to go up on Broadway. He, Mostly because he adapted he a play it. from a book he loved. And his daughter points it out. This isn't for art. And actually, as many people pointed out, this isn't for art. This is because he has money and wants to be relevant again. Well, yeah, he wants to, he wants to matter, and he's worried about 
it's a lot about like him feeling like he's aging and aging out of relevance and you know like yeah. um the it dialogue was... and just the conversations and it's like in particular the one that stood out for me first was when edward norton and michael keaton were on stage and edward is telling michael to improvise a scene and because he knows all the lines he's already it wasn't improvising it sorry not improvising you're right they were they were and he's trying to just like just say, no, no, you don't need this extra information. Cut it. You need to deliver the exact same amount of information in a smaller amount of words with what you have. And, and what of... you have is like your inflections, your tone. Just yell at me. Do something. Yeah. And I'm not in theater. Tyler, I love Tyler acting is. coaching scenes. Like um, and The even... Libertine. Have you seen The Libertine? No. Johnny Depp? There's an acting coaching scene that. It's good if anyone's yeah. listening. Um, uh, the movie's kind of... listening. What? People are listening. No, I was like, if, oh. I said to the people who are listening, I don't remember actually what I said. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, we've, we've had wine. Really not at all. We had two sips. I, poured... I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, the dialogue is so, like, um, the conversations that they're having where two people will talk and they'll just get to the root of that character's issues so quickly in a way that is so profound. Because, like, Emma Stone, when she talks, her character, when she's talking to Michael Keaton's character, and it's like, you just want to matter, but you don't matter. But then you also learn so much about her in that, in that, um, how, in that monologue, and how yeah. she, uh, what she places in her life as important. She starts going on about social media stuff, and you start to, re- and I think that even she starts to realize it's a great performance mm-hmm. that like the things that she prioritizes are stupid too, and it's sort of like you get to this point where everyone's just trying to figure out how they could matter. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone, that's, that's the biggest thing for each character is just how do I, how do I matter? Even like Naomi Watts' character is just trying to figure out. All I wanted to do was be on Broadway. I just want, I just wanted someone to tell me good job. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I kind of hate her character, but I think. like the lesbian kiss scene. The lesbian, okay. Yeah. We should talk about some negative things with this movie because there are some. I feel like the first three we just went over have like almost nothing I can say, but I feel like with. Well, I mean, even with Spotlight even said like some people come away with a thing that's boring. Yeah, well, but to I me, didn't. Those, those people miss the point. Yeah, I yeah. think that they're boring. Um, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> um, Spotlight is not boring. So it is it. boring, but it's rightfully boring. So say it, the Oscar Grouches. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a horrible, like, critic of those situations where I'm like, I just thought it was so boring in the best way. And people are like, what? I don't want to watch that then. I'm like, no, no, it's like, it's supposed to be boring. <laughs> anyway, it's like our negative, town. Negatives um, <laughs> of Birdman. Negatives of Birdman. Um, Sometimes their digressions have no payoff. Well, and I, th- I felt like the biggest thing, and really the only scene that I hated was the scene when Naomi Watson, that woman in the dressing room, made out it just it didn't make sense it didn't it, infor- did it inform it felt like it was it was a male gaze situation it felt gross it felt like they were making out because the director and the screenwriters thought ooh wouldn't this be hot to get them to make out like I just thought it was bad yeah. it didn't make sense it never comes up later and it just made it seem like when two girls are upset they'll just start making out and I'm like no that's not how sexuality works that's not like and if it was just like a story of them figuring out another layer of their sexuality, I'm like, great, but that's not what happened yeah. here. And like another thing I had an issue with, and this could be well, I mean, most of the pacing falls under the hands of the editor, but I felt like the pacing of this movie was also a little I would odd. get I would say that that's not the screenwriter's fault. I would say that's a director editor okay. thing. Are you sure? Because there were sometimes in the in the middle I'm just like, okay, when the screenwriter talks about how long he's going to go fly. 
He doesn't say how long he's flying in the air. That's yeah. the director in But for me, there's just a part where I'm like, he's trying to put on the play. That's the overarching, what he wants to do. Then I'm like, then there's just obstacle, 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 finish. And that's why I felt like eventually the formula got to me and I started to notice it. And I'm like, oh, well, what, 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 who's going to freak out? No, I disagree a little bit. Okay. Only on the obstacles. Because I think it's more complex than what you just described it. Because to me, each obstacle is like sometimes even a metaphor, but like a, a lesson in like finding truth in art. Because mm-hmm. like the first big bad thing that happens is that Edward Norton's character is drunk on stage. And then like... Because he wants to be real. Because he wants to be real. But then you were talking about a layer of like realism added to performances. The next big thing. And it's, it's usually about like how real can you make it? And like finding that line between real and like theatrical. I almost wanted someone to tell his character. If you were a good actor, then you could act drunk without it. Yeah, so then the next, but but what I'm saying though is then the next thing that happens is that Edward Norton has like a boner because he's just in that moment. But then the next thing that's happening is that Michael Keaton is unraveling in a scene where he's supposed to be unraveling, and then it finally reaches up to a climax where he acts, where he actually shoots himself instead of pretending to. And so to me, each one is building on this notion of breaking that wall between what's real and what's art. Okay. Well, does that make sense? The end. The ending. Um, what do you call it? The newspaper that that Zach Galifianakis said it's they call it hyper realism. I know. I was like that review is absurd. By the way, but anyway, I think we yeah. should move on. We've given. Oh well, who, do we, who do we pick? Oh, we have to pick one. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was about to just start talking about her. Um, so Ooh, I will talk about her. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Birdman. <laughs> Me too. And I I know that Which I have is a shame because it's <laughs> the only one that we wanted to talk about the negatives for. I know, I, but I think that the positives. It's one of those like the play that they're doing in Birdman. It goes, in my opinion, so it spikes. The, the peaks and valleys mm-hmm. are enough that I think the peaks are going to outweigh those valleys. Whereas Spotlight has little peaks and little valleys, and it's kind of just a perfect, succinct little film. But I'm like, I'm going to give it to Birdman just because you went for it, and the payoff was so huge. I was about to say, the, re- the reason I'm giving it to it is because it's just so its own movie. I can't compare it to literally anything. Yeah. And it is original screenplay. It's original. Yeah. And it is an original. Yeah, exactly. There is no other movie like Birdman. And it's perfect. Yeah. It's not perfect. And that's what makes it perfect. Right. Now her. Her. Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Have you seen the picture of Spike Jones? I think he's very cute. He's so hot. Okay. (laughs) It's weird. So he wins because he's the hotter one. No. Um, So his work is like, he works a lot with Charlie Kaufman. I'm obsessed with And then he also writes, directs, and sometimes directs and produces the entire Jackass series. Which, good for him. Um, Shocking. But and then this, this is versus uh, Django Unchained by Quentin Tarantino. Okay. So, um, first, uh, her. Okay, I cried three times. This movie is just such a brilliant look at how relationships work. This movie is so good. Oh. And it's like, I, I know we're called the Oscar Grouches. We haven't been very grouchy. We've been kind of like no, having remember, a like, circle wanna... jerk session for these <laughs> original screenplays. We're like, yes, this original screenplay. I um, I fucking love this movie. I think Movies are fun, and we it's... don't bitch about them a lot. I mean, eventually uh, we'll the prof- I, I, we get We were angrier, I feel like, in our, in our Sandra Bullock rants. But, um, uh, well, her, the, we don't need, we can't, we can't start, we can't start. I um, hate the blind side. I don't I hate it. Erg. Okay. Um, her. Um, her is, okay, well, a little bit of what her is about. It's, uh, slightly futuristic. It's not super far in the future, but it is definitely in the future. I would future. say, like, 50 years. And some, I don't even know if it's that far. Yeah. Um, someone it's gets, about a man who breaks up with his wife and ends Well, she, up, she leaves him. And, and then ends up creating a relationship with his artificial operating system. 
Yeah, so it's like a, it's almost like Siri. Yeah. But a lot more advanced than Siri. The thing that I just noticed about this movie is that at no time does the movie ever judge any relationship that is different. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, I, I think he falls in love with this computer, and it doesn't seem like the movie's about how that's stupid. No, it reminds the me only a person bit who of, thinks um, that that's stupid is his ex-wife, who, as a character, and even as a real person, deserves to think that that's stupid. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Lars and the Real Girl, which Ooh, was, I've never seen which was nominated. I lost to Juno, rightfully so, but yeah, it's it, um, it, Lars and the Real Girl is, is a similar premise of mm. a hot guy who falls in love with something that's not real, um, but it's like... Uh, I, I think it just starts to make you question what love is and, like, to me, what it what it means that... Not even what love how is. Part of being in a relationship is what it brings out in you. And I so, yes, it was kind of selfish. And I think that the, the masturbation, I think, was even... Because they would masturbate together is their yeah. thing. Um, and I feel like that was about I liked how that movie only showed that though. once. He started to like himself better, though. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point. It's like masturbation. Like, you're, you're loving yourself, like... He started to think about himself better based on the way that she saw him. So if she's not real, it doesn't matter because he got something great out of it. And, like, I don't know. And it – also, it's funny. Like, it's it's very funny. The the scene at the beginning, what did they – I think they only asked, like, one question or something for the – I won't um, – Oh, what, what, was it, what was your relationship with, with your, your mother? mother? And he goes – well, I, you know, and they go, thanks, that's all we needed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they created the perfect profile based off of that. <laughs> and now I'm just like, oh, is that like, can you accurately depict someone's personality based on their relationship I think if with you start, I think that that was sort of a joke on psychology also. And then yeah. like, but also just kind of true. I mean, isn't it sort of a little bit true if you ask someone like, yeah. what was your relationship with your mother? I feel like you're going to get a lot of stuff like that. Um, mm. I love that movie. I thought it was very heartbreaking, very sad, very funny. Yeah, um, it, it, it was a very Spike Jonesy movie because he also did like adaptation, which is in the same vein of like. I thought Charlie Kaufman wrote that. Well, he directed it. Oh no! I, okay, I thought. Well, Spike Jones directed. What What has he written? Is it just her? Oh man, I feel like I don't know things. Hold on. <laughs> but yeah, Spike Jones works with Charlie Kaufman a lot, so a lot of the films that he is I can't give you an answer in a very fast way, so I'm just gonna let it go. Okay. Um, but anyway, he I was looking at his work as a director as well. Okay. Um, very, all of his movies are very not meta. Oh no, not meta. They're just. They're very self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's move on to Django Unchained. Um. The movie was great. Again, okay, so, like, I tried to watch basically all ten of these movies in a row, and so the first time I watched Django was maybe a month ago at this point, because we've been working on this list for a while. Yeah, and I think, to me, I did love this movie, I did, but I think, if I'm going to talk about the screenplay for a bit here, I I don't know if I loved it. And Why? uh, It's, I feel like... In the way I think it runs a little bit on shock value, in and I love Quentin Tarantino for doing shock value and like in Glorious Bastards, and like Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. but I just felt like the shock value in this, it, I think it's it's part of just because of like his use of um, violence. Well, and just like the N word, and like sometimes, and I understand that that's part of the culture at that time, but at the same time, the way it's used eventually just sort of feels like he's excited to use it in an almost three billboards way. Yeah, and like. And I, I did, I want to say, I did love this movie overall. I don't want to say love. I did like it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like in a lot of ways, it wasn't prepared to handle this issue in, in the way that it did. Okay. With slavery and like, 
For me, personally, I usually have a problem with a lot of Quentin Tarantino's movies because while I enjoy the fact that he's different and that his bread and butter is a non-linear narrative, and this is the first one where it was pretty much linear the entire time. And I think that kind of hurt it in some ways. I was like, can you go back to what you usually yeah, do? Yeah, not enough. Like the, I felt like this movie, like a lot of Django's character could have been informed Django's with Django's character is not back. well written. Yeah. He is he is the, the protagonist of this. But to be honest, like, the only is he the protagonist? The only character I was ever truly just fascinated by was Candy. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know who I loved is his aunt, right? The the woman. Is his aunt or his sister? Leonardo DiCaprio's. Oh, his sister. Sarah. The, the, the crazy lady. Yeah. <laughs> she was that was say goodbye to Miss Sarah. Bye, Miss Sarah. Yeah, and then she just got blasted. That was that was. Uh, I don't think that's even the writing. I think that was her performance. She was she was great. Um, she got yanked back by some kind of like invisible cable. I also feel like the people of color in this film were the characters that he. I shouldn't even say people of color. I said characters of color because the actors did great. I mean, Carrie Washington and um, Jamie Foxx was great, but like I felt as though. And also, by the way, I'm saying that with my wine glass, who's named after Kerry Washington. Um, my wine glass is named... Yeah, Ms. Washington. Oh. It's a big wine glass. It's based off of her character in Scandal, not off of her character in Django. Um, but, like, that would be weird. But, like, uh, I just felt like they were the most... The two most underdeveloped characters in the whole movie were Django, and I can't remember his his girlfriend's name or wife's name. I don't know if they were married, but um, his partner's name. Kerry Washington's Brunhilde. character. Yeah, I knew it was something... Yeah, German. German. But she, um, I felt like they were the most underdeveloped characters in the whole movie. And I'm like, but basically, she was just we there. Be focusing on the people who are dealing with the effects of slavery. She but, was just there to just get him to go somewhere. Yeah, she was just there for his development, even though he wasn't really developed. And then Christoph Waltz's character, in my opinion, was. I feel like we're heading into this basically condemning Janko, and we haven't talked about anything good about it yet. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm grouchy. <laughs> Um, but it's like, I... Fuck this movie. It is a good movie. I just don't think that the screenplay's that good. It's just compared to his other works, in particular, Inglourious Bastards. Well, Inglourious is a similar premise to this, because he's taking a sin of human history, Mm -hmm. and then, like, doing a, like, hyper-violent sort of 80s action film type reaction to it. Well, he also changed the outcome of that movie. Well, then again... The outcome, if this was real, the outcome is they would be captured. They would and they'd be killed. killed. Yeah. So, so it's a similar... He likes of, to take historical things and twist the outcome. Well, he does... Um, and I think also why I like Inglourious Bastards is they do kind of a, a revenge tragedy plot mm-hmm. line. So like revenge tragedy, like referring to like the mostly Renaissance stuff like Hamlet. You know, like... And it's like if your job is to set out on revenge, you will end up dying probably. And that's kind of what happens. You know, you'll end up picking up traits like the people you're trying to get revenge against. Yeah. I don't think that Django... I think Django set out to be like that. Mm-hmm. And Glorious Bastards sort of perfected it. And I... I just... I love the movie based well, on, like... Glorious Bastards came out first. So yeah. technically, he perfected it and then and then it. And then sort of devolved. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Nah. And well, I love that movie, but I don't love the screenplay, really. Yeah. Well, in any sense, her wins. 
Yeah, her. <laughs> I think we both knew it's, going into this. I actually, to be honest, I didn't. I I should have written down a piece of paper because I'm almost positive what the top three the the top three will be. But let's not say that right now because I don't want to give it away to our listeners. But I'm almost positive I know. It's just the fact that because like, I mean I honestly was going into this like I love Django, but I didn't think I would ever really be critical of it until yeah. we started talking. <laughs> and now I'm like here we are. Yeah. Um, all right. Next we have uh, Midnight in Paris by Woody Allen. Um, versus The King's Speech by David Seedler? King's Speech. Seedler? I don't know. King's Speech wins. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit. <laughs> okay. Midnight, I know you don't like Midnight, Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris. I'm personally just like of it. the Woody Allen movies I've seen. I'm never, like, the biggest fan. I still have to see Annie Hall. You have to think of it as super stylized, because it is a, it's yeah. a weird movie. I, I love it. I like the message of it. It's just, like, you can't. It, it sort of seems to promote, Don't. throughout the whole movie, to me, it promotes the idea of it's okay to love another time period and be nostalgic, mm-hmm. and then at the end, they, like, slap you in the face yeah. for it. There's just a part of me... I mean, like, to, to give the premise, sorry, we should give premises for the older ones. Um, Midnight in Paris, he goes... A couple that doesn't work and a guy who just wants to make a relationship. Okay. Let me finish! Okay. Um, you thought that we were going to grouch you at the Oscars, I'm just grouching at him. Um, so, Owen Wilson is terrible. Um, but anyway, yeah, Owen Wilson's a bad actor. Uh, but anyway, you hear that? Owen Wilson. <laughs> um, but anyway, they... Uh, I thought there wasn't family. They, uh, he goes to Paris with his wife, and he's very obsessed with like the 1920s era, and then eventually at midnight, there's this area where he can be transported back to the 1920s. He's just, he's obsessed Run into with artists like Salvador Dali and see Gertrude Stein. And, and Ernest Hemingway. And uh, does he get to meet Picasso, or does he just get to see some of his work? I believe he met Picasso, because he talked to Marion Cotillard, who was his lover. When he gets to see Cole Porter, that was fun, too. Um, I, I think... Who's that act? Who played that? I don't remember who played Cole Porter, but Cole Porter was there. And okay. he's... Um, but it's, because uh, Cole Porter loved Paris. Um, but it was, it, it was a cool, it was a very fun premise. Very original. We're talking about original screenplay here. I mean, like. Oh, the idea was so fun. I just felt like the the, char- the characters he wrote sucked. I know, I disagree. I think it was very, everyone was kind of flat, but I think that that was sort of the style. It was like. It, it, it was this it's weird... It's the mundanity of real life, and he wanted to escape to a different time period, and I think it just got overwhelmed yeah. with how mundane it was. Well, and everyone kind of came off very caricaturish, especially, yeah. like, Adrian Brody as Dolly. Um, Even Rachel McAdams was kind of just like, woo! I always kind of side with her a little bit. Oh, well, he's Can you terrible. imagine? He's Can you imagine terrible. having him for a husband? You go to Paris with your parents. And he doesn't want to spend any time with And, him. yeah, he's like, I don't want to go do that. I don't want to go do that. He's just so And he's such a bitch selfish. about everything. Like, they're trying to buy a chair, and he's being an asshole Didn't about the chair. Didn't he call her selfish? And I'm like, dude. No. He's, well, and then he, like, sort of cheats on his wife a little bit. He buys her jewelry, which is jewelry cheating, as my friend Lauren would say, and it's wrong. Um... And it's like, because he buys my own Gertrude jewelry. But it's jewelry I, cheating. There was another thing in the If game. I like bought a guy a really nice watch, I'd kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, think about it. Like, but if at I the was same like, time, hey. I never, I mean, mm, I, hopefully I didn't miss this, but I never understood. Actually, he stole Rachel McAdams' earrings to give to her. <laughs> wow, he is. Awesome. If I like stole your watch, and then, I don't have a watch. Fuck. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> okay. I agree though that everyone's kind of flat. It's a little one. The thing is, is I again, I probably just missed this. I never understood if were these visions or was he actually traveling. I think he was actually traveling. Okay. Because then they double travel. Because then they go even farther back to like 
old, like, Toulouse-Lautrec, Moulin Rouge stuff, and then, um, like, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, and then Mary Cotillard's character is like, this is the golden age. She's like, no, you're already living in the golden age. And she goes, no, I'm not. So then you start to question, is Owen Wilson already living in the golden age that, you know, yeah. 80 whatever years from now will look back and say, oh, we were living in the golden age. And it's, um, it's just, cool. I just want to compare this to, to another Woody Allen film, Blue Jasmine. We talked about it in our other, in our other mm-hmm. Thunderdome. It's just in that movie, the characters again were terrible, but they were so, fascinating just with their problems and these characters all had problems but i never felt like they were just fascinating yeah i felt like we were just watching a story about a man who just wanted to daydream and i was just not here for it and there were just so many parts of this film that i was like this would be so interesting if i cared about the protagonist i didn't love the protagonist but i don't blame the writing for that I but even in Blue Jasmine, performance. Jasmine's terrible, and I cared about her. I know, but I'm, I'm saying, I think that if a better actor had played the role, mm-hmm. I think I would have cared about him. But Owen Wilson, I'm sorry, like, it's mean, but I'm just like, I don't think that this was his film. I think his brother is a very good actor, actually. Luke is, I'm such a team Luke with that. Um, I have t-shirts. I'm, I'm, I don't care for either of them. <laughs> what? That, but besides what, what, the point, what do you not like about Luke Wilson? Besides the point, let's go on the King's speech. We'll talk about this later. What don't you like about Luke Wilson? <laughs> um, <laughs> They're just so cheesy. All right, fine. We'll deal with this later. Um, <laughs> the King's speech. Uh, first, I need more wine. Oh, I have a bottle right here. Yay! Um, Refill break. Uh, so King's speech. Well, you can talk. Um, yeah, King's speech was. Uh, so it's the story. Um, King Edward V? George. 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 George the number. Can't remember. Um, but anyway, he has to... Uh, he was not supposed to be king, but his brother... His brother, Guy Pierce, Had to leave because he wanted to marry someone who's divorced. Yes. So he had to... Um, he's a dick. Remember? He's like, buh, 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 Bertie. And I'm like, oh, so rude. Oh, yeah, he was rude. Um, and then, uh, well, this is, I mean, this family is, will always be a big deal in terms of, like, the public is very interested in this story and this family, you know, like, because now The Crown is sort of almost the sequel to this movie. Ah, um, what a brilliant show. And the prequel to the movie The Queen. But um, it's, it, it, uh, and then it's about him, the World War II is starting, he needs to give a speech, but he has a massive stutter, so it's about him overcoming his stutter so he can do this speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really love the premise of this movie. Yeah. Just because normally when you get a royalty movie or you get like a history movie about World War II in particular, it's not about, it's about the big battles and this one's about a small battle. You know, it's about... This I would never think of a movie to tell, to basically just take a really, really at that time big flaw with the leader and just point it out in the movie. Wait, What? You know, like, like he basically said, like, the, I can't deliver a speech. I'm going to stutter. I'm going to stutter. Everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. I can't yeah. do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would never think of a film to basically make something, like you said, as small, but at the same time as big as Oh, that. I see what you're saying. The entire, and, like, just point it out. Like, this is what the film's about. It's his stutter. It's how we're going to get rid of it. And, and a man who just didn't want to be king. Yeah. And it, I think, I mean, and uh, Prince Harry... Who's this guy's uh, great grandson? Great grandson, right? Yeah. I don't know much about the royal family. 
Um, well, Prince Harry recently had said um, that he that he was like, well, no one really wants the throne. No one wants to be the sovereign, but like sometimes, but you just understand that it's part of the deal. And when it happens, and like, because you even think about it, the entire royal family kind of got shifted, and their families' lives sort of got overturned by this 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 moment in time where he decided to marry this woman. And it's weird how like history will never have any sympathy for that moment. Like we usually love a good love story, but for some reason that's just one. Also, he's kind of a Nazi sympathizer. Not going to get into that right now, but um. But the point is... Didn't, I remember Iron Lady went into that a lot. Did right. Nazi sympathize? Yeah. Well, I can't remember the... Uh, Albert was his brother, right? Albert? Um, no, Albert... Oh, fuck my tits. Um, yes, Albert's his fuck, fuck your tits. Albert... <laughs> gosh damn it. Um, I think the... Wait, besides the point. I'm getting the names of all the kings. I think Albert is... The royal family. His original really? name, but then he gets. That's why he, he says the book of king. Liberty. Yeah, no. He's Albert and he becomes king and he's George. So his brother, whatever his brother's name was, yeah. that's Edward, right? Yes? I want to say that's Edward. I don't know. Anyway, the point is. I know the actors' names more than their characters. He kind names. of. Uh, he was apparently a Nazi sympathizer, so I feel like history's never going to really remember him well. But it's. Um, it, it's. It's become such. An interesting idea, though, for this film was to focus on such a small thing, and then, well, and even uh, Jeffrey Rush's character, who was so well written, and so I mean, the fact that he was just an actor who couldn't make it, mm-hmm. you know, like he just kept going to auditions and it wasn't working. You even see that that wonderful scene where he auditions for Richard III, and they're just like, "Can you leave?" And uh, he's doing well, such amazing well he's not really acting that well that's the thing is in the well, in me, the audition he's not acting that well <laughs> I, I honestly just think of just jeffrey rush acting well acting bad he yes because <laughs> jeffrey Jeff, bad, let me rephrase well. jeffrey rush's performance was great the but the um god he's great <laughs> but if i was just watching that man do that i'd be like i don't want him um but it was so it was so magical to see that, and then uh, even like Helen Bob Carter's character is so wonderfully written as well, just because she doesn't want to do this, but she, I think, has so much put her own issues aside mm-hmm. um, as a woman. And you still get to see that. Yeah. You get to see enough glimpses into each character to know who they are as people. It's a very tightly written script. Yeah. And um, the fact that they're real people, too, and you still feel like you just know that, not even on a personal level, but just like... You just get to know them even at all. Yeah. Just, it was just a good job. So I, I feel like you don't want Midnight to win. I don't, yeah. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you when I would give it to you. Um, I don't really agree only because I think Midnight in Paris was it's exponentially like, more exciting and original of a film. I feel like wow. I saw King's speech and I kind of golf clapped and was like, well done, well done, just well like, done, Porchy. <laughs> but then I, but I kind of... Well done, Porchy. Well done, Porchy. <laughs> I kind of felt that way when I saw King's Speech. When I saw Midnight in Paris, I was like, what the fuck was that? It's and just like, the fact, it's almost like... I'll still give it to you because, like, I love them both and I just know you're never going to give me this one. No, I um, mean, I could, no. It's, you're never yeah, going to give it to me. It's just the fact, like, <laughs> this guy, King George, has such a long, extensive career life and we just got... And the fact that they chose to focus on this in particular. <gasps> yeah, I agree with you. I'm like, who would do that? All right, let's move on because I want to. All right, these two movies I literally watched today before we did this. <laughs> You did. Um, I did not. 
Mar uh, Heart Locker from Mark Bowl? Boyle. It's spelled like coal with a B. Just say bowl. Bowl. Mark Bowl. Sorry, Mark, if I'm wrong. Um, and then Milk by Dustin Lance Black. Okay, let's first we'll talk about milk. Well, we talk about, we go backwards, so we gotta talk about Heart Locker. Oh, Milk won first? Oh, it did, of course. Yeah. Heart Locker. I mean, this is a uh, very interesting look at a moment in history that was currently happening while they were doing it. So it's sort yeah. of... But at the um, same time, I think the whole focus of the whole thing is... It's about people PTSD. defusing bombs in Iraq, yeah. in case people are wondering. In um, what apparently, I think remember hearing this somewhere, they call that whole, not like the zone, but like that whole environment, the Hurt Locker. It's hard for me to look at the screenplay on this one. And my reasoning is thus. I think that Catherine Bigelow's direction is a masterpiece in this film. Like, yeah. I think that... It overtook it is, everything. Exactly. And I just feel like, when I'm thinking about the dialogue, when I'm thinking about the story, I'm not that excited. I, because, like, we watched this together literally an hour ago. Yeah. I, I paused it, it too, 51 minutes in, and I asked Tyler, I'm like, what's the plot? We've just gotten him defusing yeah. bombs. And honestly, as soon as I asked that, that was when... The story and all the characterization really started to gel. And it's hard. I feel like I'm the same boat as Django with this one where I'm like, I love this movie, but I'm looking at the screenplay itself and I'm like, if I read this, I don't think I would have been that excited. Yeah. I but would I have think to that Catherine. The thing is, this movie has rewatch value. And I think it's oh, important yeah. because I need to see it again to understand where a lot of the characters are going. Because it wasn't until an hour to an hour and a half in that I really realized, oh, this guy's seeing his therapist all the time. This guy has so. commitment issues and wants a kid at the end. And I got to act. And thinking back to it, I would see those things unfold. To me, though, that's okay that you don't know everything right away. Yeah, I mean... We kind of disagree on this before, though, I think. Because you'll first, be like, I like a screenplay where I just know everything right away. I'm like, no, I don't. I want to get to know them. Well, yeah, like, in, in in the end, like, your first watch through, the fact that everything just comes to a head in the end, you're like, oh, my God, this was great. And it was, I mean, it was a really good movie. Yeah. I just don't really think about the screenplay much with it, because the dialogue... There's just so much going on. Well, it was a little exactly what you think... I don't know. It was, it was, it was a little straightforward. Mm -hmm. And then like the story, the plot did sort of fluctuate in a way that I think that they could have streamlined it a little bit better. I don't really feel like the bomb diffusing was building on each other. Um, yeah, it just felt like a bunch of scenes. And I, that's the problem is I'm looking at, I'm thinking about the movie and I'm like, that movie was brilliant, but I don't think it was because of the screenplay. Every I think that Catherine Bigelow just ran with it in a way that... I, Every time he defused a bomb, you got to get a little more into William's character. Yeah, and it was, it was the whole structure of it, I guess, is that war is an addiction. Yeah. You know, they like, opened with that quote that said war is a drug. Yeah, and the then, beginning title card has this entire quote with the last sentence saying war is a drug. And then it fades out, just focuses on that. And then the entire movie, you have to basically realize... I guess like, it's kind of cool because they start with... It's almost like a well-structured... Like essay. they basically give you, they give you the end. They give you a, well, and then no, build it. I mean, to me, it's like a thesis statement in a good yeah. essay. War They're like, drug. "War is a drug." Build. Here's why, yeah. and then they like go on to explain. So in some ways, the screenplay is well set up in that way. I was um, confused thinking about the three main characters who are Eldritch, um, Sanborn. Yeah, Sanborn, and then um, Sanborn's Falcon. Yeah, Anthony Mackie. He's great. So we have Hawkeye, Falcon, and the uh, the other guy, yeah. the Piet. I got the the drug relation compared with Eldritch and William 
because, you know, he's, like, basically addicted to the adrenaline he gets from defusing bombs. And the other guy, like, goes into therapy and is, like, he's suffering from PTSD with his captain dying in the beginning and how he deals with it going forward. But what about Anthony Mackie's character? How Anthony that... Mackie is Falcon? Yes. Okay. How did the beginning relate to him? Because in the end, he had this realization that he said, I do want a kid. Like, because he's basically said, if I die here, no one will care except my parents. And they don't even count. I feel like, to me, the other characters are sort of foils to Jeremy Renner's character. Because okay. they were not addicted to the situation. Okay. They were angry when he would go and do something ridiculous. Yeah. They were, you know, like, Everyone they were upset. hated him. They even And they kind of dragged him down. So if we're, like, comparing this to addiction... They contemplated killing him in the scene. Well, yeah, because when they... Well, I guess the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, this was a good screenplay. I'm not trying to say it was a bad screenplay. It just, there wasn't... It didn't jump out at me. It was a through line. Yeah, in Until the same way that some of the other ones did. Yeah. I would like to move on, personally. Okay. All right, so now... Uh, milk, milk uh, Decimal Lance Box, our last one that we have to explain, and then we can just kind of start eliminating. Okay. Uh, so, with this one, I um, I know that you had some concerns. Explain your concerns. So, honestly, I thought, again, I'm not sure... If, no, with this, I can't even say it was the editing. The pacing of this film, I think, did fall on Dustin Lance Black, where I was getting so much information. And, like, I learned so... Because, like, I was talking with with Spotlight, a historical film, you just... You have to make me learn something. And I learned so much. Like, I learned about Anita Bryant. I learned about Senator Briggs. Well, in Anita Bryant, they don't even have a woman play her. They just show clips. Yeah. She is not cast. It is just her. They do that a lot in this, and I love it. Um... And it makes it feel very real. It, um, but there was just a point where I'm like, I feel... It was almost a documentary. It wasn't, but it felt like even, one sometimes. It was just... It, I was felt like I was learning so much that I eventually was just like, I checked out. There's so much information that I just can't take it all in anymore. I paused it thinking we're at the end, and I was 46 minutes in. I disagree on... That being a bad thing. And this is my thing. I, I watched this movie when I was... But, like, if someone checks out in a film, it's hard to check back in. But is that... Especially when the whole... You can't also, though, like, just because you had an experience doesn't necessarily mean... It's a bad screenplay. Right. Or that it's necessarily their fault, even. Yeah. Um, But it's like... Oh, well, what are you saying? <laughs> what? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> but I was like... I, I felt like when I watched... The movie, I was 18 years old when I first saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, to me, I didn't know who Harvey Milk was. This is my first time seeing it. Yeah, and I, I had no idea who Harvey Milk was, and I thought, and I've seen the movie several times since. I bought the I bought the DVD shortly after it came out, and I watched it all the time. But um, I I didn't know who Harvey Milk was, and I watched it in theaters, and I, as like a closeted gay kid, I, I felt like, oh shit, there's a history here. And I felt like, yes, there's a lot of history in this movie. I had so much but gay, I had so much gay pride at the end. The, the point of oh. it, though, I think, was to cram in the history because people don't still don't really know who this man was. And the thing is, he was on a small scale of government. He was a, super, he was a city supervisor. And so, he was still assassinated. Yeah, and it's like, you have to think... And I, I shouldn't say city supervisor, because like city supervisor, when I grew up in small town Iowa, was... No, you well, for San Francisco. San Francisco, that's a legit huge. job. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which... It's because people literally saw him as that much of, like, a big deal, as that much of a threat to their ways, way of life. And particularly for Dan White, apparently Harvey Milk's actions humiliated him. And, it, and he saw this to be a just action It was for such an important story. And I've... 
and I just think that the history was sort of almost a public surface. Yeah. You know, I was like, because people, people talk in a way that they understand Harvey Milk now, I would say, more than they did before this movie came out. Because you had Sean Penn, you have this big celebrity coming and doing it. James Franco. She was incredible. The fact that you have Sean Penn and James Franco stepping in um, and doing this movie when they were already both celebrities at the time, it, it was it was a big deal. People went to come see it and people protested the film. The, the film was still at a time when gay marriage was illegal in most states. And so it's like... 2008, was it, it just California, New York? Uh, no, New York didn't. New York came late to the party. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Because Iowa was number four. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is I think that... I know my history. <laughs> Not really. I'm working on it. It's okay. <laughs> but I think also the way that they streamlined it a bit, though, was like in terms of the characters. Because like Harvey Milk had a shit ton of lovers. Because I read uh, Mario Castro's Street, the which I think was... The two that they chose to focus on, though, I the, were very good. Yeah, because um, I think the the book Mayor Castro Street really influenced this film, yes. to the point that I almost feel like it could have been an adapted screenplay, but whatever. Um, I still need to read that. You have it. I have it right there. Good. Um, but it's, uh, it's um, a very important book. But anyway, the, the point is, he had so many lovers, and I feel like it was actually a good thing that they sort of streamlined a lot of these stories to make it just, you get to know the character, you get to know what's going on, and you get to know these activists, these queer activists who are still working today um, to get this shit done. For me, um, so I don't know any, uh, I don't know any other examples of Dustin Lance Black's works, but I know for me personally, I always have a problem with biopics Mm -hmm. in that since I know the outcome Especially with this one, I was just waiting the entire time to watch him be murdered. And it gave me such an uncomfortable feeling. But the way you said it, like, not like it's actually a mockumentary, but it's not. I feel like that's, it, it that's, the point, that's the point of his structure of the film. He even, mm. And then he even pointed it out at the beginning, like the, the screenplay was written. He has that interview. He brings the microphone to himself and he's like, in the event of my assassination. Then it cuts to a clip of a woman saying... Um, Mayor Marcone and um, Harvey Milk are dead. I think it's almost just like he even said, it's like, I know people are going to know the ending, so let's just give it to us at the beginning. Like, this is how it ends, and I'm going to build the entire story up for you so you can really feel the effect of it, even though you know it's going to happen. It was, I really liked that. Well, and he always knew, like, yeah. a little bit of, like, backstory. He always knew he was going to get assassinated. Yeah. He, it's basically he was ready for it. And Dustin Lance Black took what I think biopics usually are and said, yeah, they are, but I'm going to deliver it in a different way and make it stand out. And, the, I really and I never felt bored. It. And I guess, like, that's why I say, I wasn't trying to say that your experience isn't important. I never felt bored. I just felt gross and uncomfortable. It, but the point that I was trying to say is, like, when I watched it, I just, I think I was... Normally, I, I want to also say this, I normally hate biopics that flood you with information. I hate it. Yeah. I do not think that any biopic should start with, like, a child and then end with their death. I think that it's just so dumb. And I don't think this movie did. I mean, it, it was a very specific part of his life. You need, you need a, like, a series of events. And this one, we got seven yeah. years. Yeah, it's like My Week with Marilyn, which is my favorite biopic. Eight years. We got eight years. Because it was so specific. And eight years is not an unreasonable time frame. But they showed film. the most important events. Yeah. And you learned a lot. And I... Yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, milk versus Hurt Locker. Milk. I give it to milk. Yeah, yeah hands down. I like, and I loved Hurt Locker, but I, I think milk was just it was important. So um, because the earliest one goes on because they get they get a buy, 
Milk um, makes it to the top three. So milk is in the top three. Golf claps. And then now we go back to Get Out versus Birdman. I give it to Get Out. Yeah. Yeah, and I love Birdman, There's, but... <laughs> it's just because of what Get Out has done. Because it was of so the, important. The stance it's, that it's taking, the issue it decided to tackle. But it was just... even Okay, let, let's put aside the real world parallels. It was just that good. Yeah. Like, it was, I care so much about that protagonist getting and out. And I still, and like, even so, like, the villains, too. Oh, I have yeah. never, Very ever well-written villains. wanted Catherine Keener to die before. I know. I and in Catherine this, Keener. I was like, kill her. And Alison Williams' performance is great. I know it's not the screenplay, but her performance is wonderful. And I think... Even so, her character is just well-written. Exactly. It was just... She's arguably the worst one. They were good villains because they felt like... Villains yeah. of our lives. Yeah. It felt like people I'd met before. And just, but it, it's sort of in the same way, I know I do this a lot, but in the same way that Buffy does, where it gets a real life issue and then gets a metaphor for it in like a supernatural way. Because I would still say this is a supernatural event. There is no such thing as a, drain, a brain transplant. Impossible. So it's, <laughs> it's still a supernatural event. Yeah. It, it gets a metaphor for it and then it, and it makes you think about the real life issue based on that metaphor. Yeah. Brilliant. Let's move on. Her um, versus King's Speech. Oh, her. her yeah. <laughs> I King's Speech was good, but I mean, like, it's... It is, so, a, it is a little bit, like... And like I said, it's, I felt like after I finished it, I wanted to golf clap and say, well done, Porchy. It just felt, it felt a <laughs> little... Like, just so everyone knows, well done, Porchy is a little clip from an episode in season one of The Crown. I'm not... You know, we don't even give him any more than that. That's I all they need to know. I was watching it. He didn't even notice this. And when she... Claire Foy said, well done, Porchy. I cracked the fuck up. It's just funny. She says <laughs> And it now funny. we say it all the time. <laughs> so anyway, I, that's how I felt a little bit. It felt a little stale. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it felt a little old. And it could have bumped up a little bit. Yeah. So I definitely want to give it to her. Yeah. All right, so now we're in the top three. Wait, I have a question. You said earlier, you said, I already know our top three. Was it these three? It was these three. Because <laughs> uh, I knew, uh, so our top three are Get Out, Her, and Milk. Okay, and then so we eliminate one. I already know what I want. Okay, right, let me finish explaining. Okay, so again, Oscar Grouch is not referring to the Oscars. It's referring to me being grouchy, Nick. Um, so the... Uh, boo. Boo. Boo, uh, Tyler. All right, so the uh, Milk, so we have Milk, Her, and Get Out. So we eliminate one, and... Then we, the and then we talk about the final two. So we look at the, the top three and we go, all right, well, that one's gone. And then we talk about the, the other two. All right. So I know what I want to cut. I want to cut milk. Me too. Yeah. I loved it. I just, I think that her was so original and it was so amazing and so was yeah. that out. And I, and milk was good. I didn't, also, I feel like in this category, milk sort of cheated because I feel like almost everything, I read Mayor Castro Street and I was like, this is the movie. Yeah. So I'm like, you, you, I felt like it cheated a little bit. Um, with being original. It didn't seem very original to me. It For felt me, adapted. It just, it just comes down to pacing issues, which mm-hmm. again, in this instance, is actually on Dustin Lance Black. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, her versus Get Out. All right. I, so, I already know my answer, and I knew my answer from the beginning, but... I know my answer, but it's the fact that it's like... This is hard, because I think both these movies are really good. But it's, it's just, uh, to me, it just comes down to... Like, again, relationships are universal, but just racial issues are just such an important topic to talk about. Yeah, in any Like, you have to make people aware of it. 
and, and I, this and movie did it so well. Also, I think it's willing to say like letting a movie. I, I assume you want Get Out to win. Is that where you're at right now? Yeah, me too. Yeah. But I feel like when you to have me, there was no way around it. This when you have a movie so... that matters more, I think that that should play effect into like it's, it, it, it's important. You I've know, never like, felt like I've seen a movie in my lifetime where I'm like, this movie is important. Oh, yeah. Until this one. I haven't seen a movie since Get Out that I thought was as important. Well, it's been a year. That's true. <laughs> but <laughs> Which is weird, because this movie feels like it's been around forever. Well, it came out so early in Oscar season. It came out... It didn't come out in Oscar season. It came out in before... Well, I mean, what I mean is it came out so early in like the qualifying yeah. season. It came out in the dead season. Like February, wasn't it? March. March, yeah. I mean, yeah. no one... I I don't think that the the... Yeah the distributors of this film had any idea it was going to be what it became. To me, these movies are just so toe-for-toe in terms of character development, Mm -hmm. unique story, like, just everything is just so well thought out. The worlds that they painted were so well thought out, realized, Mm -hmm. and such a sense of hyper-reality. But because of the issue that Get Out tackles... It's not just the issue. I think also, even if we're just looking at it structurally, I think it's a better film. Oh, but just how brilliantly they did it. Because her Jordan Peele drags occasionally. You know, like her... Oh, I never thought that. Oh, I was like, to me, her has moments where I'm like, well, the thing pull is, it together. And I, I never think, felt that way once in Get Out. I don't think there's a single second of Get Out, but I don't think it's precious. It's yeah. like every little bit of dialogue, everything is like gold. To and me, I'm like, I felt the same way with her, but it's because Get Out not only didn't drag, it just accelerated the whole time. Yeah. It was just so... Such like a just just there's just so much care that yes. went into it and trying to like not only teach but entertain. Yeah, I I loved it. Yeah. I think I think Get Out was well, yeah, it was it was a legit entertaining film. Yeah, it was thrilling. It wasn't just a moment like because there are some movies that are important but they kind of drag and they kind of make you feel like death and like you never want to watch it again. I don't feel that way about Get Out. You know how you I felt like I could watch Get Out a good thousand more times before I die. You know because it was you, that good. You know how you talked to me once about how Lin-Manuel Miranda is, tech, is like declared a genius now because of the story that he wrote? Mm-hmm. I would feel like this movie could also qualify. Well, and I, I, I would agree. I think that Get this, Out this is, a is genius considered... It, not only is it considered, it is a masterpiece. And yeah. it's, it's just so... It kind of makes the original screenplay category... I feel like it raised the bar so much because I'm looking at these Who screenplays and I'm like, all these screenplays, in my opinion, are good. To me, the literally the only one that could compare to this movie and just fails to is her. Yeah. Well, and I know we don't do second place in Thunderdome. There is no Everything second place. Everything just loses. But if there was, I would give it to her because yeah. <laughs> I did love her and I love Spike Jones. I love his body of work. Yeah. I just think Get Out, he wrote his first screenplay. Well, it was not his first screenplay for a movie. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Um, but he, he doesn't, that's not what he's known for. He's not known for film and he did this and knocked it out of the park. So get out wins. Thank you all for listening to this podcast and our ramblings. Um, please again next time for when we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Like, and subscribe. Um, if you liked it, I would love it if you'd write a great review. If you didn't, um, I would don't write anything, go home, eat something and get back. Yes. Yeah. Do that. But whatever happens with your body, like, okay. <laughs> All right, bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.